We'll be turning together now to scripture, and so if you want to grab a Bible or turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1, this would be a good time to do so. Uh, I believe it's page 165 of the second set of page numbers. So let's pray together as we open God's word. Holy God, through Christ Jesus, you bring the light of the gospel into our lives, and it is truly grace revealed. Help us to guard this treasure and to share it with others too, so that the faith that has lived in our ancestors and now lives in us may come to life in every new generation. We pray with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Amen. So 2 Timothy 1 to 14, verses from chapter 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience as my ancestors did. I'm grateful to God when I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Do not be ashamed then of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. And for this reason, I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know the one in whom I have put my trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard until that day what I have entrusted to him. Hold to the standard of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good treasure entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living 
in us. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, it's a full one. We're not going to cover it all. Uh, I invite you to keep reading it this week and uh, enjoy talking about it in your small groups. Uh, But first, a little context. Did you feel the emotion in that passage of Paul's writing? So this is uh, often considered to be uh, Paul's last letter that he ever wrote. Uh, In fact, uh, some people think that Paul had already died and somebody else wrote this letter in Paul's voice to to carry on the message. Uh, But I tend to think that it is Paul's last letter. Paul's last letter, uh, he has been under house arrest for a long time. He's gone now and had his court date, so to speak, to use language from our day and age. Uh, He has found out that it is not going to end well for him, uh, that his story is going to end with his death, his execution. And he's been writing to Timothy, who he left, we remember, with the church in Ephesus, from the other passages we've looked at in First and Second Timothy. He left, at, he left Timothy in Ephesus. Timothy is his colleague, but also his mentor, someone who he brought to faith and uh, was part of God's anointing on Timothy to send him into ministry, to be an apostle and a missionary. He's left Timothy in Ephesus, And in Ephesus, there was some big problems happening. There were these leaders in the church who were using marginalized and uh, at-risk members of their community to spread their own teaching, to separate and divide the community so that it was not unified, to uh, use them to gain money and prestige and power and influence. And so they are abusing their power there. And Timothy has not been able to make any headway in correcting these wrongs. So Paul is in worse shape than he was the last time we heard from him in 1 Timothy. Timothy and the church in Ephesus are in worse shape than they were when we first heard from them in 1 Timothy in that letter exchange. Things have not gotten better, even though Paul and Timothy are doing the right things. Things have not gotten better, even though Paul and Timothy have relied on God thoroughly. They are seeing very little fruit under very intense pressure. So yeah, in moments like that, love and tears, and remembering, and clinging, and trust, they start to mean a lot more, don't they? How many of us have felt like we have been in a season of life? It doesn't have to be right now, but we have been in a season of life where there is very little fruit, but very intense pressure on us. And so we hear Paul trying to encourage his fellow worker to not give up on the things that God has called him to do. And so our encouragement today is when we think about ourselves in those same kinds of spaces, to see if we can follow the same kind of model that Paul lays out here about how and where to seek our encouragement how and where to rebuild our trust by where we look and where we seek 
and who we be with. In verse 6, we hear what makes it possible for us to do what Paul says to Timothy. Join me in the suffering for the gospel. Join me in continuing to choose to do some very hard things that do not look like they are working by rekindling the gift of God that is within you. Now, some translations that you have uh, might help us understand this better. In in verse 6, that word rekindle can also be translated as fan into flame, the gift of God that is within you. So here, Paul is turning Timothy and our attention in these hard times to the presence of God that is already within us. What is the picture at Pentecost of God's presence? The flaming tongues. And what was the picture of God for Moses while he was out shepherding? A burning bush. A burning bush that was not consumed but who spoke the call to Moses to become an agent of God's transformation. And did it really go as well as it could have gone? The Israelites had to spend 40 years wandering around in the wilderness. Moses could have been said not to have been a very successful leader of his people, couldn't he? But it's that rekindling of the presence of God who has called us to this work that is so difficult to do and does not look like it's making much progress. It is rekindling our understanding and fanning into flame the presence of God to fill us with his purpose, to fill us with his power, to fill us with his love, to fill us with his self-discipline. What does Paul say? We were not given a spirit of cowardice, We were given a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. So fan into flame that spirit of God within you. I know you haven't given up. But fan into flame the God who is already there within you. And how do we know God's presence within us? How do we know the Holy Spirit? What is these flames that God has already lit in us, the refiner's fire for one, another image of scripture of fire in God, the refiner's fire that purifies our hearts, that helps us to put to death what does not belong to God and give new life and space for growth of what does belong in our life of modeled obedience to Jesus Christ. And the gifts of God, known as the charismata, the spiritual gifts of God that are used for his kingdom good and the building up of the church, the gifts of healing, the gifts of teaching, the gifts of knowledge, the gifts of of, of being an apostle, all of these things are the things that Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, are doing in his people for his world. So we fan into flame the presence of God by our relationship with God. You know, one of the things that they talk about uh, or 
they being like, you know, people who know better than I do, um, is this fatigue that can happen when you live an activist lifestyle, when you care deeply about seeing God's transformation in the world, when things are not the way that they should be and you do not settle for that way, but seek to see the world come more fully into the alignment of what God would have it be. And it doesn't matter what kind of activism work that you're doing, what kind of service work you're doing, what kind of mission work you're doing. All of us run this risk of this fatigue. Because when we build our lives on the action and we aren't fanning the flame of God within us through contemplation and relationship building with God, we can become downtrodden and discouraged to see that what we are doing in our own strength is not producing the results we want to see. Well, why would we think on our own strength it would produce the results we want to see when we do it through God's strength that it still does not produce the results we want to see? That's what Paul's saying here. We're more likely to see the good things of God, though, if we do it out of God's strength. And we're more more likely to know God's strength when we are building that oneness with God so that our action flows out of that oneness and that relationship with God and is not separate from that relationship with God. And so we fan the flame that is God's presence within us through the disciplines of the faith through worship and prayer, through scripture reading, and through service, through accountability and practices of love, through meditating on who God is, of praising and thanking and celebrating him in different ways. That is the way that we flan the flame that is the Holy Spirit within us. And that is the way that we overcome the spirit of cowardice that leaves us sitting still and stuck. Because we will know the power of the spirit of God within us, the God who is love, the God who is power, and the God who, another way of talking about God's self-discipline is the God who is faithful. For God is faithful in keeping his promises and his purposes in the world. So encouragement to us and to Timothy is to fan into flame this relationship we have with God, to continue in the callings and the work that God has given us to do, to obey the movement of the Spirit within us, and to draw upon the encouragement available to us from the great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us. Isn't it so lovely that Paul says, the same faith I saw in your grandmother Lois and the same faith that I see in your mother Eunice is the same faith that I am sure is alive in you. Think about this for a minute. The person whose faith you admire the most, having someone tell you, that your faith reminds them of the faith of the person you admire the most. What an encouragement. 
and what a calling to want to live into and up to. And to have somebody like Paul not point to himself, but point to these people who have raised you in the faith. And perhaps like Phil shared this morning, it's not your actual biological family, but it's the family, the spiritual family that God has placed you in that has encouraged you and, ad- and sparks admiration in you and gives you, wants you, makes you want to give praise and thanks to God for. And seeing and remembering that you are not alone. That it isn't just the Holy Spirit in you who is doing this work, but that there is a great cloud of witnesses, a great cloud, a great community of people whom God has been using and doing and been at work in, who, like you, have received the grace of God, the grace which he gave before time began, that God gave you, before you even existed, his grace that that is his promise and his faithfulness. Fills my heart with comfort in hard times. Doesn't make the hard time any less hard. But at least it has a bottom. The faithfulness of God, the faithfulness that I've seen, you have seen play out in the lives of others. So there's two sets of encouragements, but then Paul does this other thing without naming it outright. Paul invites Timothy and he invites us to consider a different paradigm. To consider a different paradigm when it comes to measuring what we're up to and whether it's worth sticking it out. Paul talks about how he is unashamed of what he is doing. He is unashamed even though there is very little fruit to show. He is unashamed even though his journey of faithfulness to God is going to lead to his death. He is unashamed of Timothy even though Timothy has not been able to accomplish the goal that was set before him in Ephesus. And why is he unashamed? Because he knows that he and Timothy are doing the things of God. He is unashamed of the gospel. His reputation means nothing to him unless it is based on his faithfulness to God. You know, this is one of the reasons why we practice confession. Because as Dallas Willard said once in a presentation I heard, Reputations are actually very bad for us. Reputations become about us manning a facade or putting up a good picture for others to see. And so we have to confess the things that we become fixated on. 
because we can get that confused. We can think that God is only with us if it's succeeding, even though it's a ministry he has called us to. We can look too far into the future about the result and the product and not see the fruit of the Spirit in the work itself. That there are ways in which we can glorify God through the process that might be more important than what comes out of the process. That's a little crazy to think about. But like, for instance, that's what the Colossian way says. The Colossian way says that instead of being focused on this end product, that we will all have the same opinion about something, that the work of God in us and through us and to us is actually done through the process of how we talk to each other and how we grow in Christ-likeness as we do that work. That a reputation is not based on an opinion, but a reputation is based on the fruit of the Spirit being seen in you. A reputation is based on that contemplative life with God that flows into service and action for God. A reputation is not based on being acceptable for success, but a reputation is based on being faithful to God. And that's what Paul is saying here when he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, and I invite you to join me in suffering for its sake. Because God is faithful. And God is the one who has called us to this work. And God is the one who will do this work. And God is the one with the power for this work. And God is the one who loves this work. And God is the one who will give you the discipline you need to be able to be present and faithful to this work. So when we draw not on our own, But when we draw on these things of God, the idea of entering into suffering willingly becomes just a little bit easier. Not all all the way. I'm not, you know, diving in here. But I'm going to fan into flame more of the spirit within me so that someday maybe I will jump in like Daniel not only in the lion's den, but in the fiery furnace, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel wasn't in the furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were. Trusting in this God of mine. Trusting all that has been entrusted to him. Listen to verse 12 again. For this reason I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed For I know the one in whom I have put my trust. And I am sure that he is able to guard until that day what I have entrusted to him. So biblical scholars have have not reached an agreement about what it is that has been entrusted to God by Paul. But there are two options available that have risen to the top. And I wonder if Paul didn't mean both. So one of the options 
that people think Paul means here is that he's talking about his very own life. I know that God is able to guard until that day my life. We know that Paul has given his whole self to Jesus in ministry. Over and over and over again, he has been willing to physically suffer for the sake of the work that he knows God has called him to. And on that day, which is the day of Christ's return, when all things are set aright and the new heaven and new earth are ushered in and our eternity begins, Paul is saying, I know that I belong to him, body and soul, in life and in death. And that is the greatest treasure. That is greater than any work of ministry. That is greater than any act of service. It is because of this that I do everything that I do. Because it belongs to God. And everything comes as a gift of thanks. Turn back to him. So Paul could be talking about his life. Or he could be talking about the gospel itself. So I know and I'm sure that God is able to guard until that day what I have entrusted to him, which is my life's calling. The work that Jesus has set before me. The message of the good news. Of which I am an apostle and a herald and a teacher. My whole purpose, the only reason why I feel like I exist. I know that it is not about what I accomplish in that. Because that work belongs to God himself. It is not on my own strength that I do these things. It is on the strength of the one who has called me. Because on that day, the day of judgment, the day of Christ's return, when the new heaven and new earth is ushered in, the gospel is fulfilled. The good news no longer has to be proclaimed because it surrounds us in all and is all that there is. It is complete. And only will it be complete by the work of Christ himself. So it's almost like Paul is saying, what do we got to lose? All we have is to gain. To gain in knowing more fully the oneness that we have in Christ by fanning into flame the presence of God within us, by devoting ourselves to be his people, sheep of his pasture, people who are called by his name, trusting God that the work that he has called us to, even though it might feel fruitless, And even though it is very difficult and hard to stay centered on the way that he would have us be and do, 
that in itself is the fruit. That in itself is the thing that builds our relationship with him. That in itself is what unites us and connects us to how Jesus lived and was in his ministry and time here on earth. So, if God is trustworthy, if he is trustworthy with our work as well as with our lives, if God is with us with power, if God is with us with love, and if God is with us with grace, grace that was ours before time even began and is based on nothing that we do because it existed before we existed, And if God calls us to hard things and is providing not only himself, but his spiritual gifts and partners in ministry, then let us guard these things as the good treasure that he has given to us with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. Amen. We thank you, God, that you truly have given us everything we need. That this is part of your faithfulness to us. And so we pray that throughout this week, as we spend time doing the things that you have called us to do, as we spend time in the hard places where you have called us to be, where you've invited us in to see your Holy Spirit be at work, as we spend time growing our relationship with you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, with you, the Godhead, with you, the Creator, with you, with you. We pray that your faithfulness will be abundant. We pray, Holy Spirit, that your presence, your power, and your help will be our cornerstone. We pray that our faith will be built, our trust will grow, and we will entrust more and more things to you so that we might live rightly. And we pray for those of us who are feeling discouraged, whatever that discouragement might be about, that you will speak words of truth to us about those situations, that you will help us to see where you are present and where you want us to go next. And where you want us to just pause and reconnect with this flame that is you within us. We pray that you slow us down. Slow us down uh, so that we don't rush away from the feeling of, of discomfort that comes from being in hard things. But slow us down so that we might listen and hear you. And we pray that you continue to be our power, our love, our grace, and every good gift. So that through our work, your faithfulness will be known more thoroughly in this world. In your name we pray. Amen. So we sing a song of faithfulness and trust the old hymn. Great is thy faithfulness.